0: Thank you very much indeed for staying uh, for this Q&A um, with David. Um, uh, David, we have here, I mean, purely by their presence at what is the finest private cinema in London, the a fan that I am, I'm going to say that we have an extremely sophisticated and erudite audience this evening who will ask, I'm sure, a lot of uh, very sort of laser-directed questions. So I'm just going to ask the, the, the broader ones um, so far. 55 years on, is that... Um, how's that now watching watching
1: uh yeah i haven't seen it um well I, no, I i did see it about 4 5 years ago when we had the 50th anniversary and there were quite a few screenings and there was one at the BFI and they put it onto the the big screen and so on. and um uh but it's lovely seeing it <laughs> like this rather than on telly uh, i have to say but and f- for me i mean i have to say i just remember what was going on off camera really I mean you know you, there are certain scenes and you remember what happened that day um, and I don't know maybe the, the, there's a there's a scene where my hair looks very odd and um, and Betty, who was the lady who did the hair and everything uh, she'd had a few drinks at lunchtime and she nearly cut the lo- my ear lobe off. When you're doing the hair, and uh, it's, it's it's silly things like that that you remember. Uh, and the the, in the scene where Malcolm and I have a a, a, a mock fight in Cheltenham High Street, um, uh, and they were real people. Uh, someone asked if the, if the little old lady who comes up and talks to Malcolm was real, and I think she was. I mean, it may be that she was a plant, but we were never told that she was going to be there. And, uh, and, and there was a huge crowd of people the other side of the road watching. And, uh, and there was this lovely moment where Malcolm was hitting me. And there's a, a very, very short flash where you see my thigh because my trousers split as I rolled over and they didn't do another take. Well, they did another, t- they, they used camera tape to seal up my trousers. But um, when, <laughs> when uh, Malcolm was being particularly aggressive, uh, there was a sudden screech of brakes and a man got out of a lorry w- with a hammer and came up and said, what are you doing to this this poor man? And I was sort of like, I, I pretended to be dead. And, uh, and, and Malcolm, being Malcolm, just said, oh, well, he was annoying me, you know. And an assistant director rushed over and said, and this poor man great applause from the other side of the road and he (laughs) shamefacedly got back into the but it's things like that that um that that one remembers (laughs) Uh,
0: you were uh, perhaps um slightly further on in your career than than some of your um compadres at the time because you took a slightly less traditional route in um so uh, do you want to tell us a bit about um well, firstly, where you were in your career at the time that this came about and, and, and how it came about. I also, there is, uh, as David said beforehand, he has written this wonderful book, Filming If, which there are copies on sale outside afterwards, which he'll be delighted to sign for you. Um, in it is re- reproduced your contract for the film, mm-hmm. which is of an agreement, if there are any actors in here today, that none of the agreements that Equity have in place now, they wouldn't recognize The uh, the your your. The fee that's stated in it for the film is roughly equivalent to a year's tutoring tutoring at uh, at the college isn't it <laughs> uh
1: yeah a, um eighty pounds a week we got uh which seemed an awful lot of money i mean i was i was in rep I was at Worcester Swan theater in rep and uh and I think I was on fourteen uh or maybe even eighteen pounds a week, so eighty and as a result of the film, I bought my first car. Which uh, was a Triumph Herald estate. I was very proud of that. And, um, uh, and then, well, then I carried on. I mean, I carried on in, th- in theatre. Um, Malcolm refused to accept any job except a major film. And he had a flat in the North End Road, and he was literally starving in this flat. He had no money at all. I used to go and visit and uh, and and take him a sandwich sometimes, but of course it paid off for him because uh, he got figures on a landscape, Joseph Losey, and uh, and then um, when If was shown more, um, Kubrick saw it and asked to see him for Clockwork Orange, and then everything took off for him. But it, uh, th- that didn't interest me that side of it. Really, I just I just wanted to work, and I'd also started writing by then. And, uh, and and my children's theater career, which has been my main one really for the last 50 years or more, um, I'd started writing children's plays by then. So everything else sort of uh, took off. But Malcolm and I were the two oldest boys on, on the film. We were both 24, um, uh, Richard, the lovely Richard with the smile and we, we miss him. He died more 20 years ago. Uh, as did Christine, the girl, she died uh, about 15, 20 years ago. Um, And so many of them have gone. Roundtree, uh, who I later did a review, a musical review with, who was a lovely man, uh, Robert Swan, Uh, he died young. Uh, But um, no, I'd been to um, Oxford University and had a wonderful time doing nothing but acting. I didn't do any work at all. I managed to scrape through with a third, but I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be on the stage. And um, uh, at Oxford, I was incredibly lucky because I did things which um, took me to London. I was in the West End uh, as a student and Edinburgh festivals and all that sort of thing. And uh, then I got this job uh, directing and acting in a new company in Worcester. Uh, and I was, uh, what, 22, 23 or something. and. Uh, um, and then suddenly, uh, I well, I, I had this theory that uh, the phone wouldn't necessarily ring automatically in this business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had a rule whereby I wrote five letters every day, seven days a week. Uh, and in those days, of course, no computer or anything. It was a handwritten letter and there was a, a roneo sort of CV and a little photo. And I sent it off to everybody I could think of. And, and there was Contacts, the book, in those uh, where you had the casting directors and people who directed radio play, everything. And I thought, well, seven fives, 35 letters a week. And I was in Rep for quite a long time. And the idea was if one letter f- fell on fruitful ground, <laughs> uh, uh, it would pay for itself. And uh, one of my letters went to Miriam Brickman, who I'd never really heard of. Uh, but was a very famous film casting director. And the call came, would I come uh, to meet Lindsay Anderson for this film? And so I was given the day off. We were rehearsing Little Malcolm and his struggle against the eunuchs, which is a rather (laughs) wonderful play. They ought to revive it really. And, uh, And I got the train from Worcester and I arrived, uh, um, there was a a station called Trafalgar Square then, I mean, I think it's Charing Cross now, but I remember, so I came out of the entrance because the uh, audition was at the Garrick Theater on the set of Let Sleeping Wives Lie, which was a Brian Ricks farce, and there was this big (laughs) circular bed in the stage, it was weird, it was nothing to do with the film, obviously. And, uh, And as I came up the steps, I tripped, and I split my trousers, and this was why it was very odd that I should split my trousers actually in the film. So my first words to Lindsay Anderson when I met him was, uh, I split my trousers, uh, and whether that, I don't know whether that helped or not, but um, <laughs> I, there were lots of people there, uh, and and we all had to read all sorts of parts, and then they got rid of everybody, but they kept me behind. And they said, "When's your train to Worcester?" And I said, such, and "Such They said, oh, "Well, would you mind staying? Because we're one short. We'd like you to stay on and read." And uh, and I was very very innocent. I had no idea. But I stayed there all morning, reading everything. And Lindsay came up to m- and spoke to me and asked me what I understood by the word "epic," uh, <laughs> and I bluffed my way through that. Um, and uh, 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 and and that that was it. But then the next thing was they rang up and they said, was I free? And I was in Worcester. I mean, they could have got someone from London. They said, was I free to go up and model the, the school uniform? They wanted on a Sunday me to put the school uniform on. So I, I, obviously I went up in, the, in Soho and uh, uh, they <laughs> put me in front of a camera. And Lindsay said, oh, this must be very boring for you. He said, look at the cameras there, you hate it. And so I did, and he said, "Oh, uh, you know, look at the cameras. though so you like it?" And that was my film test, but I had no idea what it was. And then I heard I'd got this part, so it was very exciting.
0: And when you uh, started, I'll, I'll just ask this before we we open up to the the floor. Um, Lindsay's approach to the, the cast, as it were, was initially to, to segregate you, wasn't it, really, to make sure that you well,
1: were. Well, yes. Um, we w- I arrived in uh, Cheltenham because most of all the exteriors there were of Cheltenham College. Uh, it wasn't all filmed there. All the gym scenes, the beating scene, and, uh, ve- and the dormitory scenes were filmed in a very Spartan school called Aldenham, uh, which is near Watford, near Elstree. Um, and uh, uh, but uh, we were in Cheltenham for quite a long time and all the CCF, the army uniform, all that stuff but uh, uh, Malcolm, Richard and I were put into the same guest house we weren't in hotels or anything, we were in a guest house and we were told that the whips, the prefects were in another guest house and we were not allowed to meet them <laughs> Lindsay didn't want us to meet because he wanted this tension between us and... Uh, Of course, Malcolm, being Malcolm, straight away said, oh, stop that for a long time. And we went straight (laughs) off to meet them and had a drink with them on the first night. And we never told Lindsay. uh, But um, the other thing was, was that for the first week or more of shooting, uh, we weren't really in front of the camera. We did all that marching. We were marching all the way along the line, but we weren't being filmed. And this this was for us to get to know each other. Uh, And so a certain amount of bonding took place. And we were encouraged to wear our uniforms. I, I was, I was in the first three weeks. I was in a play still in 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 Worcester. Look back in anger. I was playing the the nice one in that. You know <laughs> uh, what's his name, Cliff. Cliff. And uh, so I had to go back after filming every night. And I used to go back wearing my uniform, and I sort of show off a bit. <laughs> but uh, but it was mainly to get it all um, uh, uh, sort of. Uh, a, a look, a bit lived in.
0: and Also, a certain amount of bonding. It must be said on on the back of the motorcycle as well. I mean, that that's quite a. Well, yeah, there I was, was only, only a few yeah, moments yeah, where it wasn't yeah. you, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely terrifying. They um they 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 told us we would when we were doing it, and Malcolm had never driven a motorbike before, so uh, he had a couple of lessons on a little pop pop, and then this bike arrived, which was a 700 cc or something, a mon- great monster. <laughs> Uh, no crash helmet uh we were on a public road i had that scarf on the isadora duncan scarf which really worried the life out of me and uh and he kept on encouraging us to go faster and faster uh and uh well it was all right we got through didn't <laughs> we I suppose. but uh, the bike wasn't licensed wasn't taxed or anything <laughs> um no it was that was that was
0: quite frightening <laughs> Um, w- we have about 15 minutes left, um, and I really am keen to hear what members of the audience have to ask, and I'm sure David is too. Um, how are you roving mic there for them? Okay. So, um, is there anybody who has anything there particular that's burning within them? Yes, at the back.
1: Hi, thanks to you both. Um, this is my first time ever seeing the film. Sorry, this is probably quite a boring question, but David, what were your thoughts on the decision for the picture to move between... Colour and black and white between scenes. Uh, well, um, a lot of people. They, they were, there were all these rumours that they'd run out of film stock because there was no money and all the rest of it. No, that, that wasn't true at all. Um, very near the beginning, we did the chapel scenes, and, uh, and and I'm sitting there in in the chapel not doing anything, and Malcolm's in front of me, and that was in the first week when we weren't uh, sort of talking at all, doing. Um, but. Uh, Lindsay said to us, uh, you've all got to come to the rushes. He said, w- uh, the Ru- they're in the Odeon, Cheltenham. He said, you're all coming to the rushes. So at 11 o'clock at night, after the uh, last show of the cinema, there we went, and, uh, and he wouldn't allow us down with the big boys. We had to be up in the circle. And when they came to the rushes of the uh, of the chapel scene, we actually saw them in color and in black and white. They, ch- they got both and uh, it was true that all the colour ones looked fake, they looked like a stage set they didn't look like a real, and we were in a real old college chapel and I heard Lindsay saying, oh we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go for the black and white uh, in the interiors, simply because it looked more, I don't know, documentary or whatever and from then on, from what I can gather, and I think I think he was being mischievous, quite honestly, because I I thought uh, he thought that in 50 years' time people would be asking exactly the question you've asked. But I think if it looked better in black and white, he fancied doing it. Right, we'll do that. I mean, the the cafe scene um, is in black and white, uh, and I don't know a reason for it. I mean, we arrive in colour, and then as soon as we go inside, it's black and white. Um, So I, I don't think there was a a logical it's certainly nothing to do with fantasy and reality or anything like that at all it's to do with him making that decision Does that makes sense
0: <laughs> yes right at the very back there uh, hi david um what was lindsay like as a director was he a bit more sort of did he let you as actors express a few ideas of your own or was he Straight to the script, no improvisations, completely how he wanted it to be.
1: Well, of. I'll tell you briefly two stories. Um, uh, he, was, he was, I found him quite intimidating uh, at the beginning, and when we started doing scenes where we spoke and so on, uh, he came up to me at one point and he said, "What's the matter with you? You go round with that long face. What's the matter with you?" And I said, "Well, um, I said, I, I, I just, I'm not sure whether I'm doing." what you want me to do. And it was true that he never said, well done. He never said, thank you, you'd finish a scene. And it was on, you know, and you'd be on to the next setup. And uh, anyway, so there were, I, I said, I didn't never know if I'm doing what you want me to do. And he looked at me very angrily and he said, I took six months to cast this film and walked away. And that was the most wonderful confidence booster for me. From then on, it was absolutely fine. And whatever I did, I thought, well, he'll tell me if he doesn't want that or doesn't like that. And the other story I'll tell you is the scene where we're talking about the most horrible way to die, and we end up hysterical and rolling on the floor. The, the day before we did that, we had a conversation, Malcolm and I, and, well, and Richard, actually. Richard was the loveliest bloke. I mean, we, we missed him and uh and and we honestly didn't understand the scene at all and we said it's horrible it's this thing about the horrible way to die and we've got to laugh um what uh, what does he mean and even malcolm said i don't know so we went up to lindsay and said we don't get this at all so he said oh all right yes he said you're right he said it's a terribly written scene he said very badly written he said look come in early tomorrow morning and uh, come in an hour early, and we'll, we'll improvise it, we'll work around it, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way of doing it, don't worry about it. So we came in early, and the first thing he did was to say to Stuart Baird, now you may have heard of Stuart Baird, who became a film director and uh, very successfully, and of course Stephen Frears was the um, second assistant director as well. Um, but Stuart was the third, or the, he was almost a runner actually, and, uh, and Lindsay said, uh, Stuart, uh, off you go. go and he came back with a bottle of whiskey. And Lindsay forced us to drink a bottle of whiskey. Uh, this was at about nine o- eight o'clock in the morning, something like that. And, uh, and so we were quite giggly. And he said, right, well, let's, we'll, we'll improvise this and we'll do that and we did <laughs> And then we shot the scene and we started laughing too early because we were pissed. <laughs> and uh, and he got very cross and he said, ''Will you be? You're meant to be professionals.'' And we said, ''Yeah, but you just...'' <laughs> and uh, we shot the scene, that was that. Well, it wasn't until I saw the film that I realised that we'd actually shot the scene word for word as it had been written. And he'd taken us all round the houses, improvising whatever, and, and we'd come back to what was there originally without realising it, which was really rather brilliant, I think. Um... But uh, so he knew what he wanted, put it that way. But uh, no, he was he was extraordinary, really, um, and, uh, and 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 he had to move fast as well because the there wasn't that much
0: time. Have we any? Oh yes, just over that. Interestingly, I was saying to David uh, before we came in this evening that my had a voice when I was training, worked with Lindsay at, at the Royal Court, and she d- she never told us we'd done well either. She was very much of a we were given critique or we were told to move on to the next thing. Mm. Um, yes. Well. Hi. Is uh, it working? Yeah. Uh, like the few people before, we hadn't seen the film before, but I think always like a sort of myth or a ghost, I'd heard so much about it. Other people telling me I've got to see it, so I'm so glad I got to see it today. I'm really glad you mentioned Stephen Frears, because I wanted to ask you, do you remember his presence on the set? Or Oh, yes, we hated him.
1: Um, <laughs> no, his, his job <laughs> was when there was a scene with a lot of boys... And we had there were a lot of extras, and uh, mainly uh, Cheltenham boys when we were at Cheltenham and Aldenham boys. Uh, Aldenham was an interesting school because most of the bo- uh, boys there, uh, they were the children of um, ambassadors and so on, and people who lived abroad. And a lot of them stayed at the school during the holidays, and we shot during the holidays using these boys. They had a wonderful time. And in fact, uh, there was a revolution at Aldenham where all the boys did if... And they were all sent home uh, for a week and they were sent back, which was quite exciting. Um, But um, no, Stephen's job was to line us all up, whether we were actors or whether we were extras or whether we were schoolboys, and uh, do a kit inspection. And he'd go down the line and uh, saying, no, and your tie or whatever, and And Malcolm and I, (laughs) decided to uh, to avoid doing this. I mean, it, it got very like the film in a way because we said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, we're not going to do that. And uh, and Stephen got cross with us. He doesn't remember this. We've done Q&As together and he doesn't remember any of this at all. But uh, I think uh, the, 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 we didn't really witness very much of what he did apart from that. Uh, so I I can't answer the question, but he always says that he learned a lot from Lindsay, and I think I, th- I think he certainly did, and uh, very you know very brilliant he is. D- I don't know whether you noticed. Do you remember that little scene right near the beginning where the boy is unwrapping a peach, and looking at this peach, and there's all this chaos going on around him. I love it, and he just looks at this peach, and it's a sort of moment of still artistry somehow, and uh, he's the sensitivity of it. Well, that was. Um, uh, oh God, I'm going to forget his name now. Uh, the, uh, the terribly famous director. Um, no, he d- who did um, Brideshead Revisited and oh so yeah, on. Yeah. Charles Sturridge. That was Charles Sturridge. He was about 14 uh, or, no, a little bit older, 16. And many years later, I didn't see him for, you know, 30 years or something. And the call came through from my agent. He wanted me to do a cameo in Longitude. I don't know whether you ever saw Longitude, which is about Harrison, the clockmaker, Michael Gambon. And I just had two scenes. I had one with Gambon and one with John Wood. And I'd worked with John Wood before on a telly thing. And it, this business is so wonderful. It, it, I hadn't seen him for 20 years. And you go into make hello, love, everything all right, whatever. And it's just as though it was yesterday that you were working with him. Um, but... Uh, uh no, there there was anu- there's another one in there. Um one of the one of the boys you would have noticed was Robin Asquith, uh who went on to fame in the confessions of a window cleaner and all those films. Um and uh there was an, a, another one too, um, David Griffin. He didn't do very much actually, David Griffin, but he became um you remember keeping up appearances, the Hyacinth Bouquet, and uh, uh, Patricia Routledge television series. Well, he was this sort of vicar who, or not the vicar, but the the brother of the next door neighbour. Uh, it wasn't the greatest part, but um,
0: uh, and he used to do pantomime a lot. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Thank you very much. We've got time for about one more, I think. Oh yeah. Oh no. Well, now we've got a we've got a fight on our hands. I'll, I'll be got quick. To, I'll be quick. <laughs> We can do two more? Okay. Well, then we shall. Um, was your recollection of filming such a brutal caning scene? Uh,
1: well, of course, what was exciting about that was that it was on one take until Malcolm actually goes into the room. And it's one of the longest single takes uh, without the camera moving at all. And and we knew that was happening and we had to time it. And what they did was to... Um, it, uh, that We did it for real, really, except that I didn't get... Beaten, which was very nice, but we actually went in and all the timing and uh, and Robert, who's Roundtree, actually did the running up and the hitting, and they had a mattress over the thing, so you got a bit of noise through, um, and uh, uh, and it was it was very exciting doing that because it, it's it's something like six or seven minutes, which is a very long time, um, and uh, and we it wasn't planned, we d- we were just told, well, uh, and the, and we just sort of did it really, um, and by then. We knew each other well, and I mean Malcolm was always had always this bravado. Um, uh, that, that, I mean he always uh, would ask for a glass of water at the wrong moment, just when they were about to turn over. Everybody was ready, and I'm to, oh, can I have a glass of water? And uh, and at the end of filming, I'm I'm don't get me wrong, I'm very fond of Malcolm, and always have been, and we're still in touch. But um, at the end of filming, John Stonehouse, who was the first director, very tough. Uh, a very good first director who really got things moving, but quite a frightening man, actually. I think he had a gun, actually. But um, he, uh, <laughs> he came up to me on the last day of, of my shooting and said, thank you, David, so much. He said, it's been wonderful because you, you're, you've always been on time, uh, you've never been, to blah, blah, blah. and I was terribly flattered by this, you see. And I said, oh, well, that's very kind of you. Do you think the film's gonna be successful? So he said, oh, I think, you know, it'll be an art picture. It'll be the Academy and Oxford Street, something like that. You know, he said, I think, you know, mm. he said, and of course it will make Malcolm a star. And I said, oh, that's interesting you should say that. Why, why is He said, oh, he's so difficult, Dave, you know, he makes sure everybody knows who he is and what he here. Oh, you can tell he's going to make it. He's going to be a star. And in a way I felt that was a bit sad <laughs> um, that you had to be sort of, you know, difficult and the rest of it, but, um, uh <laughs> No, uh, the, 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 it was no. It was uh, the the whole experience. Looking back, was um, was was magical, really. Uh, as so many things were. I mean, when Malcolm and I didn't wo- meet for a long time, but we worked together seven years later in Aces High, uh, which was the Jack Gold. <laughs> movie, First World War, Journeys End, the play put into the air. And that was, I had a lovely time on that because I was singing songs and anyway. it was great. Um, uh, uh, and, and Malcolm by then was a big star. And uh, and we all arrived on the first day and we were at Booker Airfield near High Wycombe and they'd got all these planes and everything and they'd built the officer's mess. And, uh, and I was in a caravan, I shared a caravan with um, Peter Firth and it was Peter Firth's first film. It was uh, before he did Equus. And uh, I was told I was, I was asked to look after him. And he needed need no looking after from me. I mean, he was brilliant. Um, but uh, we were sitting there and nothing was going on. And we said to one of the assistants, what's, what's, what's the matter, why is nothing happening? So they said, oh, there's been a bit of trouble. They said, uh, Malcolm arrived and um and he went into his uh i did they didn't call it a trailer they called it a caravan and um and, and apparently in his contract it says he has to have a fridge, and there wasn't a fridge and so he's refused to do any filming until the fridge <laughs> arrives. so he said, we're waiting for the fridge now whether that's true or not, I don't know but Malcolm, he, he to meeting up with him again was absolutely lovely um and uh, uh and I didn't in the hierarchy of things, I didn't have a stand-in. And you know, w- when you're quite big, you have a stand-in who goes in when they're doing the lighting and you can go back and read the paper or do the crossword or whatever. I didn't have one because I wasn't starring really in the film. And um, and what was rather lovely was that Malcolm used to stay behind and We used to have these chats. and uh, And the first assistant director on that film noticed and came up to me and, uh, and, and said, oh, I said, I'm sorry about this. He said, he said, I'm gonna try and arrange for you to have a stand-in so that you and Malcolm can go and have your chats. And he did, which
0: was wonderful, which was very sweet. <laughs> if you can pass the mic forward one. Oh, there, oh right you have it, thanks. Okay. Uh, really good film, first time I've seen it. Could this film have been made fi- 10 years earlier or even five years earlier? Because obviously 1968, 69 was a big time of change in the film industry going from the studio system to the indie scene?
1: Well, I don't know whether I'm qualified to answer that question, I don't know. Um, uh, where, where, where were we, 60, 67? I mean, I, w- I, c- I can't really answer that, but wh- what I can say is, is that I've, I find it remarkable how, if you like, timeless that film is. Um, one of the things that he consciously did, there's no pop music in it at all. Uh, even when they play the jukebox, you've got the Sanctus, which uh, that was Malcolm's idea, too. He he suggested that um, uh, ma- mass, the, uh, which, I don't know, he must have heard it somewhere. Um, but uh, th- it's very clever setting it in a school where there is a uniform such as they still wear at Eton, because that hasn't dated in any way. Um, and But it's quite fun when you see the shop front and you see the the ladies wear as they go along the road and obviously you know it 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 it, it must have dated but it it doesn't quite feel that way in the same way that other things do Mm -hmm. but i'm sorry i'm not really qualified to answer
0: your question Uh, out of curiosity how many of you here have was this sorry for how many of you was this the first time seeing the film gosh look at that oh quite a few there you are well that leads me to my last question before we finish which is For you, and generally, what do you think the lasting impact or the lasting legacy of the film is?
1: Uh, Well, I would like to think that um, it's Lindsay Anderson's centenary this year of his birth, and uh, next month I go up to Stirling uh, for a screening of IF, and Stirling uh, University is where Lindsay's archive is, and they've got an exhibition on and and there is a dedicated group of people the Lindsay Anderson Foundation who try to keep him uh alive as it were because I do think he is very underrated i mean he was not an easy man and he uh, he he was a rebel uh within the film world he didn't go down a, any commercial route um but i do think that if stands up and and as a legacy for him is is Pretty remarkable, and I hope that he will be remembered, um, uh, because his output really was 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 quite small. Mm. Um, and of course, he did a lot of theatre. He did a lot of very good theatre, but he couldn't get the money to do what he wanted. And uh, they they he he resisted mm. any uh, temptation to take the shilling and do something commercial. But uh, that was that was what he was like, I suppose.
0: Uh, for those of you that have seen this for the first time this evening, um, Mick Travis, uh, Malcolm's character in this, is of course the subject of two further films: "Oh, Lucky Man" and "Britannia Hospital," um, which are um, slightly mind-bending experiences, but with tremendous casts and uh, um, and form a very unlikely but very compelling trilogy. David's book is available to purchase outside, but. On behalf of all of us, David, thank you very much indeed for coming, and thank you for your time.
1: No, thank you. Thank you all for coming very <laughs> much. Thank you.